You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Okay, we're going to be in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 4. You don't need to stand uh, tonight. This is going to be almost more of an introductory type message uh, and that as I was going through some of these things, I knew that there would be no way I could get through all of it. And, uh, and so I'm going to give you a, a, a few things tonight and then probably set it up to where potentially then on Sunday night might come in and finish the thoughts that I have tonight. Because next, next Wednesday night, uh, we've got missionary Kurt Robertson and his family. They'll be in our service. So I won't be able to deal with it next week, but I, I kind of want to deal with it before then. So Sunday night might potentially then be the follow-up to this. And uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, and I'm going to read it uh, to you now. Don't stand again. We'll get into it um, a little bit. It says, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And that verse talks about youth. Let no man despise thy youth. And I start there because it caused me to think about young people. And I started thinking about my own, my own children I, and thinking about how in our, in our society, you, you really do assume that kids are going to act like kids. There's, that kids will be kids. You've probably heard that statement before. And as the father of five children, there are very few things if I can be honest, there are very few things that they do that surprise me anymore. Uh, I've got one that's, that just graduated high school, and she'll be going off to Bible college in the fall. And so I've got not as many years of experience as some parents are here to uh, do. But, uh, but there are things that my children do that used to, it would surprise me to say, yes, that's what they did. But now I'm like, yeah, that's what they did. That's kids. They'll be kids. I try not to get too frustrated about the things they do because they're kids and they're children and that's what they do. And one of my favorite things happened a few years back and I, I did ask my son Jace if I could use this example tonight. But Jace was about 18 months old and he had recently discovered the, the, one of the universal truths of life and that is lucky charms really are magically delicious. See, Jace, like any discerning child with a mature palate at 18 months old, he quickly filtered through the toasted oat parts of the cereal and found out that the multicolored marshmallows were really where it's at. And we knew he was hooked from the very beginning, the first time we gave him Lucky Charms, and his addiction, though, took on new life when one day uh, Miss Erin walked into the pantry and discovered this. I've got a picture, hopefully, of Jace that we're going to show you up here in a moment. This, this suspense makes it even better. So, oh. oh, there it was, yes. You'll see it here. There we go. See, and I, the, he's 18 months old, and the rookie mistake that my wife made, and this is our fifth child, so we can't really blame it on rookie mistakes, was having the good stuff on the bottom shelf, okay? But if you'll notice, she came into the pantry and she found he had dumped the entire thing out and very discerningly picking out the marshmallows off the floor. 
And I love, look at his right knee. That's probably my favorite part. He'd been crawling around so much in this cereal that he had as much stuck to his knee as he had probably eaten. And, you know, I was, that picture, you can leave it up for a minute here. That picture really is a, that is a kids will be kids moment. That's the kind of thing that you, that kids do when they're young. And, and this young 18-month-old boy, he's young, he's hungry, he's a boy, so he's extra hungry. And he's dumping out Lucky Charms and rolling around in it on the floor. But I want you to just imagine, though, the problem. Now, it is a problem, and we had to train him through this and help him get through this. But I want you to just imagine it's not that big of a deal when they're 18 months old. But what if this picture was a 16-year-old version of Jace? You can take the picture down because nobody's going to hear anything else I say probably as long as it's up. You know, if Jace is still 16 years old and he's doing things like that, we do have real problems. And you say, well, you should see my teenagers, the kind of stuff my teenagers do. No, it's the expectation that a toddler will get himself into situations like that, but not a teenager. I want you to think about it from the other side as well. If Aaron had walked in and found Jace making a full breakfast with eggs and bacon and biscuits and gravy, that would have been shocking. If she had come in and he was making a, a, a surprisingly complicated quiche or eggs benedict, that would be surprising as well. We're not surprised that as a toddler he got into cereal and dumped it on the floor, but cooking a full breakfast at 18 months old, that would have been surprising. The Lucky Charms incident, as we call it, is the expectation of someone Jace's age. Making full breakfast far surpasses anything that you would expect from someone Jace's age. And that really leads to the thought that I'm dealing with tonight. When I first stepped into the role years ago of working with young people, working with teenagers for a, a number of years, one verse became a very important foundation in the philosophy that I had in dealing with young people. It's important in any ministry philosophy to have a biblical principle on which it's based. But 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12 really became something that drove us in the youth ministry when we were working with teens. And it says, again, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. You know, we, we, have, uh, we live in a culture that really does, in many ways, they despise the young because they have low expectations of the young. We live in a world that doesn't expect much out of young people. Not just teenagers, but teenagers are a big part of it, but also our children. And anyone young has very low expectations placed on them in our culture. With, with teenagers, there's this expectation that they're going to talk a certain way, or they'll have a certain attitude, or they'll dress in a certain style, or they'll listen to these kinds of music, and basically, in, in our culture now, be boneheads until they turn 30 years old and when they grow up, if they ever grow up. That's kind of the, the stereotype of teenagers now. And in some ways, I think we kind of live in a lucky charms culture when it comes to our young people. And by that, I mean, if you want to roll around in lucky charms until you're 20, just go ahead. And I know that's usually something only toddlers would do, but, you know, you're a teenager or you're a millennial and you just go ahead and do that. 
And, and I really believe that's what's allowing so many to excuse the behavior of young people all around our country even right now. See, they're young and they're angry and, and we need to let them vent and we need to let them have a voice. But like I said on Sunday, the same thing happened when these kids were 18 months old in the Walmart aisles throwing fits at Walmart. The same thing. It just looks different now. Only they, they, were, they were throwing fits and screaming and embarrassing their parents like most children will at that age. Or maybe it was happening at home and they were throwing fits every single time. They didn't get their way. That happens too. But if someone, and I believe this, if someone, and usually it falls on dad's shoulders, but if someone had simply taken the time to discipline and train their children about submission as toddlers, we likely wouldn't have the same level of turmoil in our country that we do right now. Because many parents, they allowed their children to meet the expectations of the young, that's, where, that's why where we are, we are where we are. We're in a lucky charms kind of world. They're capable of making real breakfast. But because the bar's been set so low, they're perfectly happy meeting everyone's expectations because it's way easier. And what Paul deals with here in 1 Timothy 4, I think is a very important principle in that he addresses a mindset to Pastor Timothy that isn't much different than the one our culture has toward children and teenagers in our culture. He says, let no man despise thy youth. You know, 1 Timothy is a letter from an old preacher, Paul, to a young preacher, Timothy. And when Paul tells Timothy, let no man despise thy youth, he doesn't mean youth as in teenager. Timothy's a pastor, and, and as far as we know, he's probably in his 30s. But compared to Paul, he's young. And not only that, he's considered uh, youth because in his Greek culture, a person didn't have respect until they were much older than Timothy. He's trying to pastor with a stereotype placed on him. And it, could have, it would have likely been difficult for some of the Christians then, perhaps in Ephesus, to receive instruction from a man that was Timothy's age. It's just the culture. He would have been considered young. He would have been considered green. He's commanded to teach and preach here in verse 11. These things command and teach. And, and, but he might have struggled to do that with the kind of authority that he needed. You know, Paul's saying he's commanding him, preach and teach. And Timothy in his mind might be thinking, but I'm young. I'm not sure I have their respect. They have low expectations of me because of my age. So Paul tells Timothy, or warns Timothy, that he should be careful not to give other people a reason to look down on him because he's young. The culture expected Timothy to be a certain way because he's young. They expected to have reasons to despise him based on his age. So Paul tells, Timothy, or Paul tells him that he can make up for what he lacks in, on calendar years by demonstrating Christ-likeness and Christian character that would typically be found in somebody older. You know, there's something compelling about it when someone who, with youth, displays maturity beyond their years. There's something special about it. And, and I was talking to, to a man just this week, I'm going to get ahead of myself here, but I was talking to a man just this week, and, and he was telling me about what stood out to him about a young man in our church, a young boy in our church, really. And this man was telling me that when he walked up to the boy and, and he, stuck out, he stuck out his hand to shake his hand, um, the young boy um, gave him a strong handshake, looked at him right in the eyes and said hello. 
And then when he asked him the question, that young, that young boy answered his question. Now, he didn't say that the boy came up with the topics for conversation. He, he wasn't saying that the boy had to drive the conversation, but that this young man, it surprised him that this young man, so young, a, a, just a boy, would have that kind of interaction with an adult. You know, when people do something that are young and, and they display maturity beyond their years, uh, it's, it really does stand out to us. I think about Jesus Christ in the temple and, and how they were surprised, they, they were in awe at the words that he spake and the, that, that he spake with, with people having author, as one having authority. Uh, you know, having maturity and displaying uh, maturity as a youth, it carries weight that's captivating. You know, Timothy's culture, like ours, expected less from him because of his age. Paul knew that Timothy would, be, would already be fighting an uphill battle because he was young. So he challenges Timothy to rise above them. And he lets him know that he doesn't have to meet the expectations of the culture. He can rise above them. So his exhortation really is twofold. He says, be careful in your youth not to give others a reason to despise it. And second, just because you're young, it doesn't mean you're destined to satisfy low expectations. See, to the contrary, it's possible for young, the young people to be an example instead of an expectation. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, over here, you have the culture telling you, this is what we expect from people your age. So you could just match the expectation level of the culture, or you could rise above the expectation level of the culture, and you can be an example of the believers, even as a young person. And the truth is, I firmly believe that, our, that young people, we sell them far too short in our expectations for them. I truly believe that we could raise a generation of young people that don't, that don't lower themselves to meet expectations, but raise themselves or rise to the level of being an example of the believer. Paul knew this was important for Timothy for a couple of reasons. See, God's expectations are much higher than cultures. God's expectations are higher than cultures. Frankly, it would be much easier, and I think we'd all agree, it would be much easier to live at the level that's acceptable to our culture. That would be easy. That'd be, that'd, honestly, it would take a lot of pressure off. But as God's people, we have to be careful not to make our decisions based on the lowest common denominator. Because in my opinion, culture is the lowest common denominator. So if we're going to make our decisions based on that, I mean, can you imagine if we try to do that as a church? If we made all of our decisions about our direction and our philosophy and our standards based on, well, who has the lowest standards? Or who has the worst philosophy? Or, or who has the least guided perspective and, and direction? No, we don't do that as a church. You don't do that as an individual. You don't say, well, what's the easiest way out? Let's just do that no matter the consequences. No, and we shouldn't then as parents or as a church, if we're going to help the next generation along, we should, along, we should never have the mentality that, well, as long as culture is here, but our kids are right here, then we're doing good. It, 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 we, because I do think that we do that. I mean, well, culture's down here. I mean, at least they're not rioting in the streets. What kind of standard is that? You know, at least they're not burning down local businesses. Well, I'm not sure that makes me sleep any better at night. Because honestly, if our culture is setting the standard, 
and our children are here, then no matter how low our children go or the culture goes, our children are always going to look good compared to the culture. But the standard is not the culture. The standard is Jesus Christ. The culture is a constantly moving standard. But Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So God's expectations are much higher than culture's. And then Paul was thinking about the people of the church at Ephesus when he said this too. What he was telling Timothy was, you know, it's not just about uh, you doing what's convenient or not convenient. or It's not just about self-improvement. No, Paul knew that Timothy's decision to rise above the expectations and be an example was going to impact that church. His desire was to see Ephesus grow. I mean, he had vested interest and investments in the church in Ephesus, and, and he wanted them to become like Christ. And he knew that Timothy, as a young pastor, was a huge part of that process. And Paul knew that if Timothy, as a young preacher, could model Christ-likeness in some very important ways, it would carry even more weight in the people's mind because they wouldn't expect it from someone so young. And in their minds, they might say, well, if Jesus Christ did a work like that, and a young person like that, what might he do in my life? They would have to assume that God had done a divine work in Timothy's life for someone so young to exhibit these kind of things. So Paul then gives Timothy this clear list of areas that he ought to model in order to have a great impact for Christ as a young preacher. And Paul basically says you have two choices. You can either be the expectation and meet everyone's expectation of youth, or you can rise above those, ex- those lame expectations And you can be an example of the believers. You can be an expectation or an example. And tonight I want to start this just a process of looking at these areas that Paul lists and thinking about our own youth, our own children, and this next generation and think about how these things could apply to the next generation following us. These things listed here are what Paul says will help them be set apart as examples of the believers, according to the apostle. It will help define this, these things here. If it would for Timothy, it could for our young people. It could help define them uh, as a, a generation of people that rises above expectations to become examples. And we're going to make some application about our role. And again, I'm, we're not going to get through all of this tonight. I don't intend to. But I, I hope that it could be a help to us. But first, there's these six areas. And he says, let no man despise thy youth, there's the expectation, but be thou an example of the believers in word, conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, in purity. And I want to just start with that first one tonight, in word. Our speech, their speech. What's the expectation of the world for our young people? Well, the, if I'm thinking about teenagers, the expectation of the world is that the average young person would use speech that gets them in trouble. I, I was just talking this week, and I'm not going to give the story, uh, but I, I think mo- my wife was giving, telling a story about her brother when he was young, and he was in front of some missionaries, and, and something that he said that was just, I mean, I can't, his parents are still trying to figure out where he got it and why he said it. If, you've ever, if you're a parent, you know probably you've been in the situation where your children says something in front of somebody else, like, where did you even hear that? And what would cause you to say that in front of that person, specifically? We've probably all been there, but the young are not known for their tongue control. They're just not. The world expects, here's what the world expects. 
The world expects children to not be able to talk to grown-ups. The world expects children uh, to not to do more harm with their speech than good. And as they get older, then our country or our culture assumes that young people will use their speech to talk back to parents. I mean, and I don't watch those kind of shows, but I know what they're like when there's a teenager and parents. The teenager is always the smart one. The parents are always the dumb one. The teenager always has something smart to say and, 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 and has something to talk back to their parents with. That's what our culture assumes young people will do. They're going to talk back to their parents. They're going to use crass language. They're going to tell lies. They're going to gossip. They're going to speak disrespectfully to their authorities. And, and, that, and that's what this culture would say, well, they're young. There's not much to be expected from the young. But I, to that, I say those are lame expectations. How lame is that to assume that just because they're young that they're going to talk in disrespectful ways and, and, and they have to tell lies and they have to gossip and their tongues have to get them in trouble. Nowhere in the Bible does it say that a young person is destined to talk back to their parents. It doesn't say in the Bible that a, a teenager has to use inappropriate language. And you teenagers in here, listen to this tonight. It, the Bible doesn't, it doesn't put you or pigeonhole you and tell you you have to talk back to your parents when they tell you to do something. The Bible, the Bible in nowhere does it say that the expectation of teenagers is they go through this rough patch, and be, you know, 13 to 17, and they can't get along with their parents, and they have a smart comment, and they're disrespectful, and they say things they shouldn't. There's nowhere that it says that. Nowhere does it say a young person has to speak harsh words to each other in the youth group. Nowhere does it say that they can't converse with an adult. These are cultural expectations. I mean, nowhere does it say that a young person has no choice but to speak whatever's on their mind. No, it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, even though our culture's speech has gotten progressively worse, you know what surprises me these days? You go out and, and listen. You go out wherever you go. You go, you're going to eat somewhere, you're going to shop somewhere, you're going to be somewhere. And it used to be that if you ever had to confront someone about their language, it was a man. Well, now I'm telling you, wherever you go, it's young ladies in our culture that are throwing the words around just as much as the young men are. I mean, our culture has got progressively worse with its speech. Everywhere you go, you hear something inappropriate being said. And it might be word choices, or it might be the subject matter. It might be the tone of voice. It might be the volume. You hear it everywhere. You hear it anywhere. Restaurants, Walmart, the songs playing and everywhere you go. And our children are being bombarded with unchristian speech everywhere. And yet, what kind of blows my mind is that some parents make it worse by introducing it at home too. And I don't just mean the way they speak to each other. I mean the things on television. Some well-meaning Christian parents have no filter on the language that comes through the television. And, and then they shouldn't wonder why their children struggle with their speech the way they do when they have very few controls over the entertainment at home. And I know that hits us where we live. And as a parent of teenagers, I have to be careful of it too. I mean, it's amazing. You turn on uh, something as, as seemingly innocent as HGTV or something. I, I don't watch that anymore. I'm not sure exactly what it stands for anymore. I'm proud to say as a man, I haven't watched it in a long time. But I do remember watching things like House Hunters or, or whatever, whatever those shows are. Every time they walk in the door, the first thing they say is they take the Lord's name in vain. 
So something as innocent as a television show like that, and you can't get away from it anymore. Parents, we ought to be very careful about how much control we, or how much freedom we allow speech like that to be in our homes. Rather than settling for the expectation, let's assume that our children can become examples of the believer, even as a young person. The example would be something like Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech be always with grace. Seasoned with salt. You know, you know, it's possible for a Christian to speak with grace. I mean, you would hardly know it in some churches. And you know, I'm thankful that's not that way here, but man, we ought to speak to each other with grace. Kindness, patience, love, care, respect. I'm not saying that if something doesn't, that needs to be dealt with, we don't deal with it. I'm saying that if we do deal with, with it, we deal with it with kindness and patience and care and love and respect. It's possible for a Christian speech to be appropriate and with grace. If that's possible for a Christian, then do you believe it's possible for a young person to speak with grace? Well, I do. We have to assume that it is. There's not a condition placed on that verse. It doesn't say, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, unless you're young. You know, the problem is the expectation of the culture around us is says, well, it's so rare to get a respectful answer from anyone, much less a teenager, so we don't expect them. Now, to hear someone speak with kindness at all these days is almost rare. You don't expect it. You can't hardly go through a drive-thru without having someone working to serve you be rude to you anymore. But that doesn't mean, though, it's impossible for God's people and even our young people to be an example of good speech. Our children can be an example of it, but they need, folks, they need an example from us. It could be that the young people coming up behind us, maybe they don't speak with grace or they use words to tear others down or they gossip or, or, or about other people or because the example they have in us has trained them to speak that way in an unchristian manner. And I'm not accusing, I'm simply having us be confronted with the questions tonight. Because we can't expect our young people to be an example of the believers in speech if we're not an example of the believer in speech in their eyes. We can't expect them to rise above the norm if we don't do it ourselves. The example for a Christian speech is found in verses like Ephesians 4.29, but that which is good to the use of edifying, and the word edifying means to build up. We need mom and dad. If our speech at home doesn't build up, how can we expect our children to have speech that edifies and builds up? How do we speak to each other or how do we speak about others in front of our children? Our example impacts their ability to be an example. James 4.11 says, Speak not evil one of another, brethren. He that speaketh evil of his brother and judgeth his brother, speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. Who art thou that judgest another? Now, in other words, what he's saying is, if we speak evil of our brethren, we are setting ourselves up to be the judge of others. And the verse goes on to say, there's one worthy to be the lawgiver and judge, and that's not me. So when we gossip about others, we're taking the place of God as though we have that place. 
Gossip, folks, gossip has no part in the family of God. This body of Christ will not last if we don't strive to be examples of, instead of falling to the low expectations of the culture in which we live, on how we speak about each other. There should never be an instance, and I know this is heavy, but it's important. I, because in, as God is my witness, I love Eastside Baptist Church, and, and we need a light in Sioux Falls, here on the east side of Sioux Falls, and, and the last thing we should do is contribute to the deterioration of what makes Eastside Baptist Church a strong church. There should never be an instance in which we speak in a negative way about someone in this church family to someone else in this church family if that first person is not around. Gossip has torn many churches apart. And we, we, we have to make a decision not to be a part of it. I mean, it's, a, it's biblical to not gossip. He has to tell, I mean, we were told many times not to gossip, so it must be a problem. And we have to determine that, if, listen, I'm not going to say anything about another brother. Speak not evil of, of each other, brethren. I'm not going to speak evil of another brother um, in front of a different brother or sister. If that person's not around, I'm not going to be that person that erodes the, the foundation of a good, strong local church. And if you and I can be that kind of example to our children in their speech, in their words, we set them up to be an example to their generation. They need to see that in us. Somebody needs to be an example in the next generation. And if they're not, re and you, you hear it all the time, that young people, they, what we do in moderation, uh, then our children will do in excess. You've probably heard that before. But listen, if our standard for speech is down here somewhere, that means our children's standard will be down here somewhere. So where's the light for Christ's likeness going to be if there are no examples of a believer in, in speech, in their words? The Bible says when speech isn't right, there's major trouble ahead. Proverbs 21, 23 says, Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. So if you can keep your mouth and your tongue, you'll save yourself a lot of heartache in the future. James 3, 6 says, And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, and so, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. Those are, that's, those are heavy words. Well, the tongue has has set churches on fire before. Psalm 141.3 should be our prayer. Set a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. You know, having a gate and you're on your words will keep you from trouble. It'll keep you from sin. Proverbs 10.19 says, In the multitude of words there wanteth not or lacketh not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise. That'd be a great verse to teach our kids. I mean, great verse to teach them. It said, in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. Hey, listen, I, I just want to stop right now and tell my kids, my two that are here tonight, um, by the way, or my three older ones went back to Oklahoma with their grandparents for the week, but I'm looking here and I say, so listen, in the, in the multitude of words, kids, there wanteth not sin. And, and if you're just always talking and you're always delivering speech and you're always using your words, um, there's, the potential for sin is greater. I just want you, I just want them to hear that. I want them to memorize that truth and, and know that, listen, it, the words can get me in lots of trouble. My speech can get me in a lot of trouble. 
but if I will refrain my lips, then I can be a wise person. Nobody expects a young person to refrain their lips. No, and the expectation of the young is they have no control over their tongue. But I want to raise young people. I want to raise children. I would love to see the young people of Eastside Baptist Church be an example of the believer in the speech that they use. Now, I think we could do more with our children to help them be an illustration or an example in their speech. And like I was saying earlier, the dad, that what stood out to him in the way that that young boy, when he reached down to shake his hand, he looked him in the eye and he talked to him with confidence and he answered his questions. And, and I'm just going to tell you, as pastor, I mean, I, I think that we might be lacking in, in the training of some of our boys and our girls and how to respectfully interact with adults. You know, you don't think about that being an important thing to do, but man, from the time they're young, we need to teach them how to speak. And use their words in a respectful way. To, there should never be a time when, it, when an, an adult goes up to your child and your child treats them disrespectfully that that doesn't get dealt with at home. I remember when our kids were young and all of our kids seemed to go through it, uh, but we really wanted them to treat the pastor with respect. So we trained them, okay, hey, listen, we're going to see pastor at church, so here's what you do, all right, practice. Stand there, hand out, firm grip. If he asks you a question... Then you answer it, and we'd get, okay, here's pastor, go up to him. And they go up to him, and they're like, <laughs> Like, what just happened? <laughs> they lose all control, and it's like, I don't know whose kid this is. We're backing away, like, I don't know who that, I don't claim that one anymore. <laughs> you know how kids can be. Kids will be kid, kids, won't they? But they don't have to be. Yeah, you have to go through the process where kids will be kids. But, but I think if we will deliberately train them and listen, again, parents, dads especially, there should not be instances at Eastside Baptist Church that someone goes up to your child and tries to speak to them with, you know, just to engage with them. And if they're not, that they're not, if they're not respectful, that you don't deal with it. Train them. Talk to them. And you know why? And you say, well, why should I have to do that? Because the world needs to see an example of believers. The world needs to see a group of people like the children at Eastside Baptist Church who blow everybody away like, wow, where, I mean, these kids are amazing. And they speak to adults. They're, they're under control. They're, they're, they're not running around like crazy. I mean, they're, they're standing there. They're disciplined. They're talking. I mean, they're using their, their speech and their words in a way that I think really pleases God. I mean, look at this. I mean, this is the kind, you know, can you imagine after a guest, a family comes to our church and they go home and they're talking on Sunday afternoon Listen, I don't, I don't mind at all if they're not talking about the preaching when they go home. I don't mind at all if they don't go home talking about how great the music was. And I don't mind if they don't go home talking about the building. I'd love for families that come to visit Eastside Baptist Church to go home on Sunday afternoons and talk about how amazing those kids are. That they're, they're speaking with grace and they're under control. And, and they're being respectful. And those, those children, I mean, can you imagine a husband and wife saying, I think that's the kind of church we want to raise our kids in. I really believe it has a lot less to do with the preacher and a lot more to do with the families that are raising their children to be the right kind of respectful speakers. Words seasoned with salt, always with grace. I know kids are going to be kids, but it doesn't mean that we don't have that we don't work on them to do it differently. I don't know if we realize the difference it can make in our guests that come here. You know, 1 Corinthians 14. 
talks about in his service, it's not just the preacher. They're convinced by all that God is in us of a truth. And you say, well, but you don't know my kids. <laughs> hey, kids will be kids. And if you have an expectation that you know, you're going to do it once and you're going to train them right into it and they're not going to ever give you a problem, um, then you're a naive parent. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that you say, well, it's not easy, so I'm not going to work at it. No, you say, well, that's just not possible. No, well, that depends on if you as a parent are fine with your children being the expectation of the young or rising above it and being an example of the believers. Our children will be the product of our training. And I think that we sell them short by setting the bar so low. Are we looking for them to be examples of the believers or simply to meet cultural expectations? You know, there's a long list here. We're going to try to get through it maybe on Sunday night. But I think this one is a good one to start with. Because, I mean, you think about our culture. I mean, you tell me where you go where people are speaking with any kind of grace these days. You're not going to see it on the news, on the debates. You're not going to see it in an interview. You're not going to hear it on the streets. You're not going to hear it in the restaurants. Will you hear it in churches? there's anywhere that somebody should go and say their speech that I think is an example of the believers is in churches and it's in youth groups and it's in the children's ministries. It's possible. Don't sell them short and let them settle for lame expectations. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.